Alan Minsk. I'm a partner with Arnold Golden and Gregory, and I head up our food and drug practice group. Uh, welcome to the seventh episode of our podcast series, I Wish I Knew What I Know Now, Conversations with HG on FDA Issues. Our title is a nod to Ronnie Lane and the Faces. If you don't know who he or they were, look it up. Our podcasts feature HG colleagues discussing challenges that they've encountered when assisting clients on business and legal issues. I am here today, physically, in the D.C. office with Genevieve Razik, a lawyer in our healthcare and food and drug practice team in our Washington, D.C. office, and with Leah Bruckman, who is a lawyer in our corporate and finance practice. Uh, today, our episode will focus on small business user fee waivers, who qualifies, and how to apply from an FDA and corporate perspective. So, Let's get started. So before we get into the specifics of the small business user fee waiver, let me ask Genevieve, why don't you give us some general high-level background regarding the types of fees that FDA assesses drug sponsors, and then we can talk more specifically about how an applicant might qualify for waiver of some of the fees under the small business user fee waiver provisions. Sure, Alan. Um, I think that's a really good idea. Um, it's important to understand how the fees are assessed generally and how those fees work before sort of getting into the specifics of how to request a waiver for those fees. So to begin with, the Prescription Drug User Fee Act of 1992 um, is also referred to as PDUFA-1. It authorized FDA to assess user fees for five years, and that was for fiscal years 1993 through 1997. And those fees are assessed in conjunction with the review of a human drug application that's submitted to the FDA. Uh, And various statutes over the past several years have reauthorized the user fee provisions um, for subsequent five-year periods up to the present time. And those user fee provisions, they are the authority that authorizes FDA to assess what are called application fees for certain human drug and biological product applications that are submitted to FDA. And FDA also has the authority to assess what are called prescription drug program fees, and those are collected on an annual basis. And the fee that's the focus of the small business user fee waiver is the application fee, which is, again, that's the fee that's associated with submitting a biological license application or a human drug application to the agency. And for 2021, um, to give you guys some idea of sort of the amount of these fees, um, the fee for submission of an application requiring clinical data is $2,875,842. And for applications that don't require clinical data, the fee is $1,437,921. So you can see those are some big numbers. Those are some hefty amounts. The waiver doesn't include that prescription drug program fee that I mentioned. It's only in association with the application fee. Okay, so great with that background. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the small business user fee waiver specifically? Sure. So according to Section 736B of the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, which is essentially um, FDA's Bible, FDA can grant a waiver or reduction in one or more of the user fees assessed under Section 736A of the Act, and that's the section that authorizes FDA to assess user fees. So in order to qualify for a waiver, FDA has to find that an applicant meets certain eligibility criteria under one of three provisions. 
So those three provisions are when a waiver or reduction is necessary to protect the public health, the assessment of the fee would present a significant barrier to innovation because of limited resources available to the person or other circumstances, or the applicant is a small business submitting its first human drug application to FDA for review. And we're most interested in that third category, that small business category. And the small business user fee provision, it more specifically provides an applicant is eligible for a small business waiver if the applicant meets some additional criteria. And those criteria are that the applicant employs fewer than 500 employees, including employees of affiliates, The applicant does not have a drug product that has been approved under a human drug application and introduced or delivered for introduction into interstate commerce. And the applicant, and this is an important point, the applicant and its affiliates have to be submitting its first human drug application. Can you provide some information regarding who reviews these requests and how applicants should submit them? Sure, Alan. Um, There's actually a common misconception that the Small Business Administration reviews small business user fee waivers, when in fact it's actually the FDA that reviews the request. An applicant should submit form FDA 3971, um, and if that applicant actually submits its payment with the application, it then needs to request the small business waiver and refund it would need to submit Form FDA 3971 to do so and would need to do that within 180 calendar days of when the application fee is due. Let me turn it over to Leah if I can. So Leah, the criteria or request process sounds pretty straightforward. What are some of the uh, challenges that applicants might face in the process, I guess from a corporate perspective? Yeah, sure. So I think this is where the the corporate analysis and the review comes into play. An important component to the small business fee waiver is FDA's analysis of what entities are considered affiliates of the applicant. As Genevieve mentioned earlier, it's kind of the corporate twist here. So if an applicant has an affiliate that employs over 500 individuals, the applicant's not going to qualify as a small business. According to informal FDA guidance, When determining whether companies are affiliated for purposes of the user fee assessment, the critical factor here is control. So, for example, whether one entity controls or has the power to control another entity, or if a third party controls or has the power to control both of the entities. In such cases, FDA recommends that the applicant submit copies of any agreements between an applicant and other entities that demonstrate the nature of the relationship the applicant has with that entity, Uh, And in some cases, FDA may contact the applicant to request certain organizational documents of the business entities in question. So, for example, the Articles of Incorporation, bylaws, operating agreements, so on and so forth. So if you're wondering about the confidential nature of some of this information, thinking I'm going to be submitting some of my company's confidential commercial or financial information, FDA has noted that it recognizes that some of this information that applicants are providing might be confidential And it has stated that it'll treat such information in a manner that's consistent with the laws and regulations governing the disclosure of confidential commercial or financial information. Additionally, FDA will consider if the applicant gave up the power to control the company through ownership, whether stock or otherwise, or the majority rights to the product through some form of an agreement, for example, licensing, manufacturing, or an asset purchase agreement. And this is an interesting point because um, this whole issue about affiliate comes up a fair amount. So can you give us maybe an example of where this issue of control or affiliate analysis might come into play? 
absolutely. So one example that might help illustrate the point nicely, let's take a situation where a third party has invested money in the applicant or loaned money to the applicant. So the terms of the loan agreement or the investment may be relevant to the agency's analysis of whether an affiliation exists between the investing entity and the applicant. FDA may analyze certain of the following factors, whether the loan agreement or the terms of the investment make it clear, for example, that the third party would not have any decision-making authority. Does the agreement provide that in the case of a disagreement with respect to the operation of the business, does the third party that invested or loaned the funds get final decision-making authority? or whether the agreement makes clear that the applicant would maintain control through all phases of product development and intends to remain in control. For example, do terms of the investment or the loan contain a clause which allow the individual who invested or loaned the funds to take control of the product if gross sales don't reach a certain threshold? Uh, that would be problematic. And if the investment or the loan involves a royalty, the percentage of the royalty. Sounds good. I mean, I know that we've experienced where the issue of affiliate certainly comes up a fair amount where companies don't think that they are affiliates or this whole issue about control, you know, or maybe they only have one owner and they say, well, it's not really that relevant. But when you kind of peel the onion, this becomes very problematic. And that's where what both you and Genevieve are talking about really does, something that really does have to be analyzed. So these are some interesting factors to consider. So thank you for that example. So turning to more of the procedural elements of the submission, Genevieve, can you maybe let us know about the timing for these, um, or how these requests would work? Sure. So if an applicant does receive a small business waiver or if the waiver is granted, the applicant should submit its human drug application within a year of the date of the small business determination. And that's because FDA has made it clear that circumstances could change regarding that small business. So those circumstances that support the applicant being a small business may change in that one-year time frame. So it's really important that applicants keep that in mind and plan to submit their human drug application within that one year. And if the applicant is granted a small business waiver and unable to submit the application within that one-year time frame, the applicant does need to request a new small business waiver. Um, and FDA will analyze that application anew and determine if the applicant is still eligible for a waiver. And if the applicant does not use the waiver before it expires, is the applicant still eligible for a future small business user fee waiver? Mm -hmm. That's a good question, Alan. Yes, it is possible that an applicant could still qualify, again, for a small business waiver, even if they didn't use that first one. Okay, and then let me go back to Leah. Can you provide any insight into the recommended time frame for submitting a request for a waiver? Sure. FDA informal guidance, uh, they encourage applicants to submit a request for a waiver or a reduction in an application fee approximately three to four months before submission of the application. They've further stated under normal circumstances and depending on available resources, FDA will try to make its determination on the waiver request before the application is submitted upon which the fee is due. So submitting an application any earlier than three to four months before submission of an application may be cause for agency scrutiny as circumstances that support the waiver request may be subject to change in that interim time frame. Got it. All right. Well, this is about up for our time. So I want to thank Genevieve and Leah for joining me today. We hope that you found this discussion to be helpful and informative. If you have any questions or would like to submit your feedback or topic suggestions for future podcasts, please feel free to reach out to Genevieve, Leah, or me. You can find our contact information on agg.com. Genevieve Razik's email would be her first name, .razik at agg.com, and same thing with Leah, .rockman at agg.com. Future podcast episodes will be distributed through our monthly 
Food and Drug Newsletter and AKP's website and social media pages. Thank you again for joining us and have a good rest of your day.